0: Amen. Thank you, Ken. Morning, church. It's good to be with you. Good to be back with you. Missed you last week. Uh, Super thankful for Ken stepping in. A few days before um, last Sunday, I was actually camping and uh, picked up a parasite out of the water we were drinking and brushing our teeth in. And so last Saturday, we started our journey home and the closer we got to Texas, the further away I got from being able to preach, and uh, it was like Wichita Falls, uh, somewhere around four o'clock Saturday afternoon, I put the text out to the preaching team, I was like, somebody's gonna have to pinch it for me, I'm, I don't think I'm gonna make it, and uh, Ken picked it up, and said, not only did an amazing job, like, do an amazing job, um, just wanted you to know, like, he did that with, like, last minute, and just stepped in, And really the beautiful thing behind that that I really want to point out is that it's it's super important for us as a church that um, the voice that you hear on Sunday mornings through the person preaching is the voice of God, louder and more clearly than the voice of the preacher himself. And so he actually preached a sermon that I prepared, I did all the the work on it, and then he preached it, And, and what I love about that is, you know, the text itself was the primary thing, and it wasn't his personality, my personality, his voice, my voice, and I just love that he was able to step in and just do what God had called him to do and just keep you guys going along. So now we've made it to Malachi 2. And uh, we've made it to verse 10, which Ken was reading just a second ago. Um, we are going to get into um, really the specifics of how Israel was breaking the law of God, violating the law of God. And, uh, and God's approach to communicating this through the prophet Malachi is so helpful and enlightening and different From how we often approach breaking the law, whether somebody's breaking our law or we're breaking somebody else's law, um, rarely do we stop to think about the heart behind it and what's really at stake. And so really, I think this is going to be a beautiful chance for us to see from God's perspective. Now, what is different so far through the first two sermons, um, God has communicated and asked some rhetorical questions to get a conversation started Today, what's different is the prophet Malachi is actually going to ask them, so it's going to be more of like a sibling-to-sibling conversation, if you will, Um, an Israelite-to-Israelite conversation or, in our context, Christian-to-Christian sibling, uh, having a conversation. So the language changes just a little, but God will continue to speak even through Malachi's questions. Now, we're going to get into uh, covenants today. Um, You may or may not be familiar with that word and what it means Uh, We'll get into the meaning of it, but you could think of it this way. This entire Bible is a covenant God has made with you. Um, It actually has multiple covenants within it. Um, Your Old Testament represents the first major covenant that God made with his people. And then as we celebrated it with communion, Jesus comes to bring a new covenant, the New Testament. So you could think of Old Testament as the Old Covenant, New Testament as the New Covenant. We're going to see that covenants exist between God and his people, uh, between husband and wife, and even from believer to believer. um, As we unpack the text today, we'll start in verse uh, 10 uh, and and go from there. So it begins with, again, from the perspective of Malachi, he says this, Have we not all one father? So he's speaking to the nation of Israel, his fellow brothers and sisters um, of Israel. Have we not all one father? Father, And your translation should have Father capitalized because that's speaking of our heavenly Father. Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaming the covenant of our fathers. Plural and lowercase meaning like Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those patriarchs of, of the past. And so you can kind of hear the language sibling to sibling, like Malachi's asking that question of his brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews. Why then are we breaking, if we have one father, one heavenly father, one God and creator, here's the rhetorical question. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant? Now he goes on and says in verse 11, Judah has been faithless an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem this is describing Israel from a two kingdom perspective there was a time where the kingdom of Israel split and you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom the kingdom of Israel the kingdom of Judah when you read that language there that's describing still though god's people so Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. We're going to get into the, the issues being addressed here. I'll just give you a, kind of a, an overview. Um, the, the men of Israel um, were at high rate breaking their marriage covenants with their Jewish wives. And not only were they divorcing them and kind of leaving them, they were going and marrying ladies from other countries. And in doing so, were adapting their foreign gods. So there's a lot going on here in terms of what's being addressed. And it was happening all over Israel from Right, Judah is mentioned. Israel is mentioned. The heart of Jerusalem is mentioned. This is happening widespread. What I want to point out, though, as we get started is this. What's beautiful is how everything that God is addressing through Malachi is contextualized within this familial relationship with God, that He is a Father. So from week one, God says, Have I not loved you? And then as we got into that, what God was doing was illustrating and demonstrating His love towards us in a familial way as a father does either for a child who is natural born when you when you hear that you're pregnant or your spouse is pregnant and you already begin to get excited and love the kid you never met I chose you even before you were born or it's the adoption version of that love where, where a parent chooses a child and chooses to love that child before that child has ever even done anything right or wrong it's that beautiful love of God towards us and then the second week as ken was preaching it begins with the rhetorical question of god asking where is my honor he's a father asking am i not your father you're not my child then then where's my honor and we talked about worship last week and honoring the lord but all this is contextualized in this idea that god is not just a far-off deity you know like a higher power we kind of refer to in generic terms but that we see him as this loving father and he sees us then as his as his children And this begins here, and Malachi's like, hey, don't we have one father? Brothers and sisters, don't we have one father? And so that theme continues. And the question that's being asked here is, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And again, he's gonna get more specific, but he's addressing, first of all, this divorce issue You're divorcing your wives, you're breaking covenant with them, and then you're going and marrying these these ladies from other countries who have other gods, and you're worshiping their gods, and you're violating your covenant. I want to walk through just some some biblical perspective on covenants. First of all, we see biblical covenants um, from God and His people initiated from God towards His people. You can look at His covenant with Adam. we back in Genesis 2. Adam, you're free to eat. Don't eat from this tree. It's a covenant. It was a commitment He made. Eat, eat from anything you see, and you will be blessed. But don't eat from this tree. You'll be cursed. He made a covenant with Noah Genesis 9. He made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, and then reiterated it again Genesis 17. He made a covenant with with moses and really with the people at large through moses in exodus 19 all the way through 24 and then we see god continue to make covenants he makes a covenant with king david in second samuel 7 and in this covenant he says david one of your descendants will sit on the throne of my kingdom forever and so god's making these covenants with people we also see the covenant between husband and wife which is being addressed here Go all the way back to Genesis 2, at creation in the garden before the fall. Adam sees Eve. God brings her to him. He's blown away. She's pretty. She's beautiful. But more than that, he can actually have companionship with this one. Remember God said it's not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve. He's like, oh, finally, one like me, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And the two became one. That's that covenant relationship being expressed in marriage it gets reiterated again and again and again Ephesians 5 if you've heard that passage maybe at a, at a wedding is a reiteration of that, that marriage covenant we also see covenants between individuals I jotted down a few examples just in case you want to go back and look uh, Abraham and Abimelech Genesis 21 uh, Jacob and Laban Genesis 31 Jonathan and David 1 Samuel 18 King Solomon and King Haran in first kings chapter five there's just some examples where humans were making covenants with other humans and so when we use the word covenant whether we're talking about humans we're talking about marriage we're talking about between man and god what is what is a covenant so i want you to think of it this way first of all it's not a contract okay so contracts spell out terms it's it's a written expression of an agreement which is close to a covenant but it's different So here's how I want you to think about covenant. It's a mutual agreement between two parties. Sounds like legal jargon. One of those parties can be God, and one of those can be Abraham. Two parties, husband and wife, two two ladies, two men. But it is a mutual agreement between two parties where the two become, now listen to this, we're going to have to kind of parse this out, become one in the sight of God. Now, we don't mean the same thing, though, in every one of those covenants. So let's just use like a a simple idea of a covenant between two men. Two men make a covenant about um, a piece of land, more than a contract, okay? We'll explain the difference. The two are becoming one as it relates to this particular agreement. They will still go back home to their wives, right? They still have a covenant relationship with God, but they can actually become one in this agreement on this piece of land and one of the best ways i think to understand this is the way it was illustrated and ratified in the old testament with the sacrifice of an animal so oftentimes you'll see in the old testament a covenant being ratified with the sacrifice of an animal and one of the things that would happen is the priest would bring an animal in that would be in the temple or in the tabernacle And to ratify the agreement, the two individuals would stand, you know, one on one side, one on the other, and this animal would be sacrificed. And the priest, with great precision, would literally split this animal in two. And once this was done, the two halves of the animal were spread apart. And the two individuals making the covenant would either join hands or they would be tied together, but they would come together through the two halves of the animal walking through the blood. And it was was actually a remarkable explanation of covenant because you were really illustrating two things. One, you were illustrating as difficult as it was to split an animal in two, may it be that difficult to split us on this agreement. It's like taking two pieces of paper and gluing them together and then trying to get them to come apart. May it be that difficult. And the second component of that was, if one of us should break that agreement, right, till death do we part. May what happened to this animal happen to me if I forfeit my end of this agreement. So see, that's, that's, that's different from a contract, right? It's the idea that the two are becoming one on this particular item. So you can see how that applies in marriage. The two become one. One flesh. It's even true in our covenant with God. He becomes our father, and we become to Him a child in this, this beautiful covenant relationship that we have with Him. Of course, Jesus is the one who is sacrificed to ratify that covenant for us. And so, this is just an overview of what, what covenants are but what we want to see together today is how our covenant with one another is actually connected to our covenant with God that if I make a covenant with you and I forfeit or break that covenant I'm actually violating my covenant with God that the two are interconnected and you're going to see that in the Ten Commandments in just a moment we'll we'll talk through that um what i want you to see though is is another thing as well is not only is your covenant with other humans connected to your covenant with god they they touch they're connected one impacts the other Um, but in addition to that the moral law of god is given to us to protect covenants to protect relationship the laws that god gives to us the rules if you will of being godly of being a good christian are not arbitrary right god calling you to jump through hoops to earn his acceptance they're given to us to guard and protect relationships you look at the ten commandments the first four guard and protect your relationship with god all the all of the first four are about your relationship with god and the next six govern your relationships with fellow man turns out it's not good to murder Thou shalt not do it. Right? Turns out, it's not good to commit adultery. There, Thou shalt not do it. You can see the connection there. God's protecting your relationships. What's being addressed here in this particular passage really connects with a couple of the commandments. The first commandment is this, in Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Messed that one up, didn't we? When these men divorced and remarried these wives and adapted or adopted their gods, they were violating that covenant with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But then the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. The tenth commandment is thou shalt not cover or covet your neighbor's house or possessions, including your neighbor's wife. So we can see that this covenant relationship through the Ten Commandments is being violated all over the place in Israel. There's this connection between them divorcing their wives, these men, and breaking that covenant, and at the same time breaking their covenant with God. Picked out a couple of places to look at that I thought would be helpful to illustrate the connection between our covenant with one another and then our relationship and the covenant with God. In uh, Matthew 18 is a very vivid passage that, that illustrates this. I won't read the whole thing. Essentially, uh, Peter's going to come up to Jesus and ask him a question. This is in verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter was asking a contractual question. I want to know what the contract is. I need to know what the bottom line is. What are the terms of your expectations for me in terms of forgiveness? How many times am I expected to forgive? And Jesus is actually going to answer with a covenant answer. So the question is contractual. The answer is going to be covenantal. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or seven times seven times the idea that peter you're entering into a relationship here not a contract you're moving into a covenant here this is binding you're you're stepping into um, my family the family of god and in the family of god we extend forgiveness not based on a contract or a bottom line but based on the need And then what Jesus does is he tells them this parable, and if you track the parable, what Jesus is illustrating is that what God has done for you, he wants you to do for your fellow man. Your covenant with God should impact your relationship and your covenant with others. Your willingness to forgive should be a direct result of God's willingness to forgive you. God does not forgive you based on a contract. You didn't get a contract when you became a Christian. Right? Now we operate that way sometimes. Like there's a contract. I'm just trying to just trying to meet the the minimum quota of the contract. Make sure I hit the bottom line so when I die, I can get into heaven. There's no contract. You were invited into a covenant relationship. Jesus' commitment to forgive you is 70 times 7. He didn't come to you and say, as long as you don't mess up more than 475 times between now and the time you die, you're in. Did he? Did he? I mean, just know he said to me. What I'm learning is that the grace of Jesus covers a multitude of sins, even sins that haven't been committed in my life. And so the expectation then is that we would then give away what we've received. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. The apostle John says if anyone says, I love God, have a covenant relationship with God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Ah, come on, John. Yeah, liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love who? His brother. My covenant relationship with God is intimately connected to my covenant relationship with you. Now, not, not every human being is my brother. The New Testament is super clear on this. We have neighbors and we have brothers. Okay? We have people that we interact with in society around us, our neighborhoods and commerce and work, but our brothers are those who are in Christ. That's why when we take communion, we delineate. Say, hey, this is for those who are in Christ. So as you're taking communion, you can look around and go, okay, I'm brothers or I'm a sister to, to those who are taking communion. I can see the body of Christ. The, 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 the instructions and the commands around how we treat each other as Christians is different. It's a higher standard than what we're called to do with everybody else. Why? Because we have a covenant relationship with one another. Ephesians 2 goes to great length, especially um, towards the end of chapter 2, where the Apostle is talking about our salvation. He talks about how your salvation didn't just secure a relationship with God, it secured a relationship with one another. And he talks about the two becoming one. And he's not even talking about marriage. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. He's talking about the family of God, that the siblings have become one. I think it'd be an appropriate time to say this, relationships matter to God. I was thinking about ways to highlight this. One statement I wrote here is that relationships matter more than matter itself. Of all the amazing things that God has created in the physical universe, including things unseen, the physics of how everything works. It seems to be the most important thing to the heart of God is relationship. The Ten Commandments don't govern how we steward the world. They they govern how we steward our relationships. Think about who God is. God has always existed in a perfect relationship within the Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have never been lonely. They've always had each other. And not only that, that relationship has always been holy. It has always existed with honor. What? Jesus honors the Father? You bet He does. Humility, submission, love. All the things that make a relationship a relationship have existed within the Godhead. And then the Godhead says what? Father, Son, and the Spirit, let us make man in our image. And You and I have been created and set apart from the rest of the matter in the universe. And one of the most distinct things about you is it's not good for you to be alone. It's how you were created. You were created to commune in relationship as a reflection of who God is, as an image bearer. And so now the laws make sense that we would have laws and instructions and rules that guide, govern, and protect relationships. And so here, it's not so much that Israel has broken a moral code, it's that they have violated the most important relationships between them and God and between them and their spouse. Verse 11 says this, that Judah has been faithless. Just did a little work on that word to get my understanding around it, because we use faith kind of two different ways. We use faith to talk about belief, and we use faith to talk about being consistent or faithful. Okay, so this word faithless, I need to know, like, what are you talking about here? So the Hebrew word here uh, for faith means this, it means an act of treachery or to deal deceitfully or to be unfaithful or to offend. That's the Hebrew word describing what the nation of Israel was doing towards one another. When they were unfaithful in their relationship, especially the marriage, it was offensive, deceitful, and treacherous. That's the word that describes when we violate, describes us when we violate our covenant with one another. It's treacherous. It's deceitful. And it's offensive. He goes on to say, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And Ken thoroughly covered the problem with bringing offerings last week without sincerity and honor and respect, so we won't get into that this week. But here's a bottom line I want to lay out for you. Our covenants with one another are also covenants with God. Your marriage covenant you made. Richer for poor, sickness and health, till what? Death do us part. I'm in. It's a covenant. And that covenant's connected to your covenant with God. As a church, as the body of Christ, we have covenants, membership covenants. Those covenants matter. They matter to us. I hope it matters to you if you're a member. It's not a legal contract, the bottom line, we come, we measure your life and make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But it's a beautiful Profession of saying, hey, I'm in, and this is what I'm committed to. We'll talk in a minute about what happens when we fall short, but that's our commitment we've made. And we're one in that covenant. Okay? So you can't kind of, you know, go through your covenant before you sign it and mark out a few things, circle some things, you know, redline it, and then go, I'm signing it, but based on these edits. Okay, well, this may not be the place for you because nobody else made any edits in their commitment to you. Our elders have a covenant that's even different from the member's covenant. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, call elders to a higher set of expectations. So we've made an even further covenant with one another. That includes everything that you've committed to plus some. These covenants matter. Our covenants with one another are connected to our covenant with God. the next thing that we read here in verse 13 is this a second thing you do so we've already addressed that the second thing is this you cover the lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand you say why does he not let me be clear god does not mind you bringing his your tears to his altar This is the same problem we were having a couple weeks ago. We talked about how there's a discipline from the Lord as a result of our hard attitudes and our actions. And then if we are receiving that discipline, that corrective behavior from a parent, we're like, hey, I'll start behaving again. When you start loving me again, we flip the script. It doesn't work that way. The discipline is actually part of the love, and it's not a matter of like, yeah, if you'll give me my Xbox back, I'll start obeying you. Well, you've missed it. Actually, you don't have your Xbox because you didn't obey because you violated our agreement and so they were doing the same thing here they had violated their covenant with God and with one another and then they were complaining because God no longer accepts their offering Ken talked about last week why it lacks sincerity and honor it was just lip service they were bringing their offering in and they were going home going God's gonna bless me this week boy I mean my offering wasn't that great. I actually picked out a sheep that had like parvo and it was about to die anyway. But I mean, I brought it in and they did the thing. And so man, cha-ching, cha-ching. We're gonna cash in this week. And the Lord didn't bless. Like, what's the deal here? We're running the place. We, 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 we read the script. We did the thing and you're not blessing me. So he started crying and complaining because God wasn't blessing him. And this is the second issue that's being addressed here. The second thing you do is you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because no longer, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And we'll pick this back up in the second part of verse 14. Because the Lord has, excuse me, because the Lord was witness between the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, that's that same word again, though she is your companion and your wife by Covenant. That's the issue. Let's go back to that. You're worshiping foreign gods, and then you come into the altar of the God of Israel and you're laying down a sacrifice and saying, Why aren't you blessing it? I mean, I'm still I'm still doing the thing. Did he not make them one? With a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Now, there's the expression of oneness connected to covenant. They were one. Now, this topic of offspring has actually come up twice in the passage. And if we're not careful, we'll just read that and go, oh, God wants me to have godly children. That's the expectation. That's a lot of pressure. Sometimes my kids get it right, and I'll take a video of it, and we'll put it on social media for you to see. But I don't want you to see when they are getting it wrong. That's a reflection on me. I'm not doing my job producing godly offspring. That's not actually what's being expressed here. Earlier on, he kind of talked about this, the idea that may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this. So here's the man He's an Israelite man. He forsakes his covenant with God and with his wife. He divorces her. He goes and takes a wife from a foreign country that has foreign gods. He marries with her, and now he's worshiping the foreign gods. And he'll come back home, and he'll worship his, this God of Israel too, and he's, he's worshiping. And what Malachi's saying is, like, cut off those descendants. Because the issue wasn't godly character. It was passing on the seed of the promise. That's the, what's at issue here. The godly children are the the seed of Abraham that carry forward this promise. Godly offspring is not a reference to simply raising moral children. The idea here is that God wants Israel to produce seed of the promise. Remember, the promise was for Abraham and his descendants. The promise to David was what? I'm going to bless one of your descendants. God's desire was for Israel to remain faithful to the covenant with him which included remaining faithful to their marriage covenant with one another in order that the promise of the covenant would pass on to future generations. That's what's at stake here. Remember, in God's last word to Israel, which is the book of Malachi, he's going to go silent for four centuries. So in God's last word to Israel before the four centuries of silence that would be broken by the incarnation, the birth of Jesus who, by the way, was the seed of Abraham and the descendant of David that was being promised. Jesus was born through this Jewish lineage and fulfilled the promise that God would bless the nations through the seed of Abraham and a descendant of David who would sit on the throne of God forever. God's plan of redemption is unfolding through this nation. And as they were divorcing and remarrying, and then raising children to worship all kinds of gods, like that's what's at stake here. That's the idea here of the godly offspring. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Children who would take that seed of the promise and pass it on to the next generation. And they would pass it on to the next generation until the Messiah comes, which is still about 400 years away. And so we get this last instruction here in Starting in the second half of verse 15. So guard yourselves. Guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says to the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So the command is to guard yourself and we'll get there in a minute. I thought it was interesting though this reference to the covering garment. If you know any history there around Israel. Um, One of the symbols of betrothal or like um, getting engaged and even marriage was the idea of the male would cover the female with his garment. Expression of I've got you, I'm covering you. Not to rule over you. I'm covering you as a protector and a lover I'm giving you a safe place to live uh, you see this in the story of Ruth and she goes and lays at the feet of Boaz and she says to him hey cover me with your garment just the edge of your garment cover me with your garment I want to I be under your protection and care but what's interesting is God uses this same wording to describe his covenant with us in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8 This is the words of God. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you. Oh, people of God, listen. I made a vow to you and I entered into a covenant with you, declares who? The Lord God, and you became mine. The same idea is used by the Lord to express His covenant. I've covered you. I've given you a place of safety and refuge and protection. You are mine. But here in this passage where marriages were being discarded, for the Lord does not love His wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and covers His garment with violence. That garment that he's supposed to use to protect her and to love her and to care for her is actually covered in violence. That's not describing God's violence towards you, that's describing the violence between one another when we break covenant. And I don't think it's referring simply to physical violence, but the tearing of the heart. It is a violent thing to have your heart broken. It is a violent thing to be betrayed. That's why we use expressions like, he broke my heart. She stabbed me in the back. We use words that describe violence to describe what happens when somebody betrays us. Saying, hey, men of Israel, your your garments are covered in violence. so guard yourselves says it twice i'm just going to land with some practical application here and then we'll talk about what we do when we mess up everybody wants to be on the receiving end of a perfectly upheld covenant right problem is we're also on the giving end and that's where we fall short so we'll deal with falling short in a minute but this idea of guarding yourself it's this hebrew word it means pay attention be alert so if I'm going to guard my covenant with God and my covenant with you, I'm going to have to pay attention. I want to be mindful. I want to be intentional. It's not going to happen on accident. To have a marriage that lasts a lifetime and is still thriving at the end, thriving at the end, will not happen on accident. It's not plug and play. You can't just slip your ring on and then go do life and expect to meet up 50 years later and go, wow, what a great ride. I'm telling you. You can can survive, you can coexist, you can cohabitate for a long time, but a thriving marriage takes intentionality. You have to pay attention. So whatever that means, guard my relationship with my wife or even with you or with God, I've got to guard it. It's not going to happen on accident. The second piece is that, that, that idea of guarding and protecting. I'm going to have to guard it. I'm going to have to protect it. I'm mindful of my covenant with you when I live life. I want to guard and protect my relationship with you. I mean that. I hope you feel that way towards other Christians, members of the church. I hope that you feel that way in your marriage. You're going to have to guard it and protect it. And I hope you feel that way about your relationship with God. This last word here, this Hebrew word gets translated keep it And the theological significance of this word keep is just profound On one hand when I hear somebody telling me to keep something I think it's really up to me, I've got to hold on to it, hold fast And that's, that's what's implied here right? a, man shall leave his hus- his, well, a husband shall leave his mother and father and do what to his wife? Keep her, hold fast we're supposed to hold fast in covenant and keep one another. Problem is, I lose my grip. My best efforts aren't enough. And I love the book of Jude. If you've read it, it's one-chapter book in the New Testament. Twice in there, the concept of keeping is mentioned, but it's the Lord keeping of us. And, uh, and I, I'm sorry for the throwback reference here to Stephen Curry's Chapman song, um, but... This idea, hold, he talks about sings a song about holding on to Jesus. But the way he describes it in the bridge is this way. He says, we're gonna take hold of that which has already taken hold of us. I love that. So in my keeping of my covenant with Jesus, I'm taking hold of something, someone who has already taken hold of me. So when my group loosens, what happens? He's still there. He's still got me. And that's the concept of keep here. So when we hear this idea, this guarding your hearts and your covenants guard your relationships. We're protecting them, we're paying attention to them, and we're keeping them, we're holding fast to them. What do we do when we fall short? i will kind of end with just one illustration here. So, when we think about, um, I'll use contracts and then we'll apply the concept to covenants, but in a contract, if you go borrow money and you don't have enough credit or the bank, the lender's a little nervous, they're going to require you to get a guarantor or a Co-signer, right? And so you've got a bank, which is one entity, you the other entity, you made an agreement, I'll give you this money, you go buy the car, but I need somebody else to put their name in this just to make sure we get our money back. So it enters the guarantor. Okay? Um, when I was 16, yeah, 16, uh, my second vehicle, <laughs> uh, my granddad had already helped me purchase the first one and it was paid for, but the second one, after I wrecked the first one, I was responsible for it. And so I had to borrow money to uh, to go into buy this truck. And my granddad, knowing I didn't have credit, decided to be the lender. So he was my lender, but not only was he my lender, he was also my guarantor. Because when I couldn't make my payments or I didn't have the money, he would step in and say, "Hey, I've got you this month. I've got you." Understanding your covenant relationship with God, you have a guarantor but it's not a third party. God not only is the the lending party in the agreement, if you will, and now again, it's more than that, but he's also the guarantor. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Your covenant with God, you are not gonna uphold your end of that you're not always going to guard it and protect it and keep it now try but when you fail your relationship with God is not in jeopardy you don't get put on probation you don't have to come back in and sign new documents you don't have to go in and say hey you know I know no Jesus steps in as the guarantor says I got you it doesn't let us off the hook from pursuing godly lives why because the godly rules are there to protect relationships and relationships matter still don't murder still don't commit adultery still don't covet still don't do all those things that that destroy and create violence in your relationship still pursue holiness and when you fall short your guarantor jesus is there and he's the one keeping you now that's your relationship with god and guess what you're going to need him just as much in relationship with one another you are going to rupture and fracture your covenant relationships. You're going to fall short of the thing you agreed to do. And that's why you're going to need the grace of Jesus to both give it away and to receive it. And that's the point of of Jesus' parable with Peter in Matthew chapter 18. You're going to need grace. Jesus is the guarantor in your covenant relationships with God and with man. Isn't that good news? I got you. Yes, show up, work hard, pursue godliness. It matters. The Ten Commandments matter. They're actually in place to protect you and everything that matters in life. To protect your relationship with God and relationship with one another. Go do those things, and when you fall short, Jesus is your guarantor. Matter of fact, theologically speaking, he's already paid off the debt. So you're not still making monthly payments. You're just driving the car. But there's a certain way to drive the car, right? There's a certain way to steward that thing that God has given you. You didn't borrow money from God to become a Christian. Jesus paid it all in full. So because of that, we don't carry the weight of the burden of the relationship anymore. He simply prepares good works in advance and you should walk in them. I want to leave you with that today and some questions to think about. We'll come back in the next couple of weeks and finish the book of Malachi. I think we've got three weeks left. And then we'll be starting a series entitled What is the Gospel? And we'll talk more about that again in the, in the weeks to come. But here's some questions for you to think about as we wrap up today. How are you honoring and investing in the enduring relationships and commitments that you've made? Whether familial, marital, communal... How well are you guarding, paying attention to, protecting and keeping the commitments that you've made? I want you to think about this. How have the broken relationships that you have with people in your life impacted your relationship with God? Or you see brokenness in your human to human relationship, how does that connect to and impact your relationship with God? This third question is this Are there any areas in your life where you might be compromising your faith or values because of societal pressure or personal desires? And is there an area in your life you've let down your guards? Like these Hebrew men? And just started going with the flow of culture and society and do whatever the pagans are doing? Like, is there any area in your life where you might be compromising your faith and your keeping of covenants, especially with God? And then this last question, always a practical question, giving you something to think about in terms of steps to take. What step or steps can you take this week to cultivate love and commitment? In your relationships with God and others. What could you do to guard your, your covenants this week? I'll leave you with that, and I'm going to pray for us. I invite the worship team out. Um, as always, our prayer partners will be at the front of the room. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, if you've got questions you want to ask um, about the church, or maybe something that came out in the sermon, you can grab a, a pastor or elder I'd be happy to talk with you. I'm um, just going to give you some space to respond now to God's word and what He's speaking to you personally this morning. Um, So I'm going to pray with us um, and pray over us, and then our worship team will come out and we'll respond. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this very convicting God reminder. Um, When I read this passage, it brings both conviction and gladness. Father, the conviction comes in when I start taking inventory of how well I have been guarding and keeping my covenant relationship with you and with others. Father, it's not hard for me to see where I've fallen short. But the gladness comes in and knowing that Jesus himself is the guarantor of that covenant. That where I fall short, Lord Jesus, you fill up what is lacking. This morning we come before you humbled, honest, Even vulnerable. God, to just say, we need you. We need you in our friendships. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our relationship with you. We need you to keep us where we can't keep ourselves. So, Lord Jesus, as we sing this next song, we ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. Stir within us our neediness. Lead us to Jesus, we pray all this in his name. Amen.